You know, in the beginning of, like, Beyonce's album, and she's like, what are you doing, my love? Like, that's just me talking to the penguins. Like, Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Where's My Stick? I'm Kelsey. I'm Christy. And I'm Danielle. And we have a lot to get through this week. It is our Metro Division preview, but first we have a few quick hits. There have been a lot of signings. A lot of the RFAs have been finishing up their contract negotiations in preparation for the season. So first up, Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning signed. So in the 2018-2019 season, he played 79 games for 41 goals, 51 assists, and 92 points. And he has signed a three-year deal with a total value of $20.25 million, with an average annual salary of $6.75 million. The Lightning have come up more than a million a year from previous offers. So it looks like in the first year, his base salary will be $1 million, and his signing bonuses will make up $4.25 million. In the 2021 season, his base salary will be $2.5 million, with a signing bonus of $3.5 million. And in 21-22, his base salary will be $9 million. At the end of the term, he'll be 26. One thing to note is that he did have hip surgery over the summer and will be expected to join the team in late October. But um, it was still good for them to get this all sorted out quickly. Well, not really quickly, but before the season starts. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I personally love this contract. And I think... By the end of it, they should have traded certain people that shouldn't be on the team anymore. And I think they should be fine with, like, re-upping his deal. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say besides this is a very good contract and I'm very happy for myself and for Tampa. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I get your money point. I just, I, I will say, and this doesn't, I mean, this doesn't have anything really, like, it's not specifically about point. I think it's just about a lot of the RFAs to sign three-year deals. <clears throat> I love that their base salary for their last deal, like, sets them up for, like, what, getting, like, what they're worth or close to what they're worth for, like, their next contract. I don't know. I feel like since a lot of them did that, <laughs> the GMs will, or, like, owners will try to put it in, like, the next CBA or, like, whatever contract. They're like, you can't do that. But, I I mean, I I like that. I think that, you know, good for them. I think I have, like, one other thing to say. In that, like, if people thought that Mitch's contract was going to be, like, the straw that broke the camel's back and all these RFAs would sign, where it actually seemed like it was Braden Point's contract, that, like, after his contract, everybody else signed, and they were all kind of around the same number. I do see why you would say that. Just because I feel like Mitch's contract was just so unrealistic for a lot of teams that they're like, listen, we cannot do that. We can't do it. So don't think about it. Whereas yeah. like points is something that's like, all right, we can kind of, we can do that. And I think preseason is like almost over. Like the, I know, like I know these guys don't want to, no one wants to take it as far as Nylander did into the season. Cause they've seen like how like it's hard to get like your feet under you and just, you know, you want to be with the guys with point signing, which is like a good comparable for some of them. And the fact that like, listen, we just need to get it done. I feel like that also played a part. That's fair. Another signing, um, Matthew Kachuk, he signed a three-year deal with an average salary of $7 million um, for a total value of $21 million. In 
1920 season, he'll receive $1 million in base salary and his signing bonuses will make up $4 million. In 2021, base salary will be $3.5 million, with signing bonuses making up another $3.5 million. And in 2021-22, the base salary will be $9 million, with no signing bonuses. But at oh, that man. time, he will be 24 and still be an RFA. And in 2018-2019, he played 80 games, scored 34 goals, 43 assists, and ended up with 77 points. I love this contract for Matthew. I'm so happy he signed. And... Again, the third year, that $9 million. I don't know why, but I think I thought that it was, like, a little bit of an overpay and that they're just, they're banking on him being the player that he was last season and not kind of regressing, which I don't really see. But I was just like, huh, I did not expect him to get that much money. But I still think it's a good deal for the Flames. And, like, he's the highest paid Flame now, which, He's only, like, making a little bit, the most, like, a little bit. But anyway, um, a lot, like, when you talk to, like, Flames fans and when you read a lot of the Flames beat reporters, they also like, their articles, they all, like, when you talk about Chucky, they, they think of him as the next captain. So I can see why they would trust that much money for him because I think they want to give him, like, an elevated leadership role. So Were you surprised that it was a bridge deal? Uh, no. Like, once he wasn't signed, like, quickly in the summer, I kind of figured it would be Bridge. I know they would want to lock him down, but also, I feel like the Kachucks are smart enough and, like, try to use, will try to put their their sons or the players in the best position, so maybe, like, you know... So next up, we all breathed a sigh of relief um, because Patrick Laine was signed in Winnipeg. Um, In the 2018-2019 season, he played 82 games for 30 goals, 20 assists, and 50 points. He signed a two-year deal with an average salary of $6.75 million and a total value of $13.5. In 19-20 season, his base salary will be $6 million, and in the 2021 season, his salary will be $7.5 million. He'll be 23 at the end of the deal and still be an RFA. You guys. <laughs> we'll let Christy go first. <laughs> what I tell you, I don't know what I was doing at the time, but I was like, <laughs> Elliot Friedman was like, they're getting close. And I was like, Yes! I literally, like, started, I almost started, like, tearing up. I was so happy. But in terms of the deal deal, I think this is a really good deal on Winnipeg's side because it's not that much money, and it's, like, it's very much like, okay, well, we'll just give you these two years, and they have two years to kind of show Line A if they want to keep him or if they want to trade him and kind of mend that fence. I think this is a good deal for Line A, too, in that if he wants to leave, he still can and he can still be traded. It's also very much a show-me deal and him being like, okay, I'm going to show you what I can do. I don't even know if I care about the contract. I'm just so happy he signed. Like, (laughs) watching them interview Blake and, like, watching them interview everyone and be like, so how happy are you that Lainey's back? And all of them, like, gushing about that just makes me so happy. I want Lainey to stay in in Winnipeg, but I I can understand if, like, you know, their relationship isn't as happy or positive as it once was. 
regardless of the contract, I just want him to have a really, 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 really good year because I'm so many people talk shit about him. And I just don't like it was like it was like they talk shit and then they were like, but also trade him to my team. And I'm just like, you can't like right, that. Right. Like, I hate that. I hate like don't diminish his value and then try to get him on your. I guess I'm just worried for line eight because this leaves him so little room for error. Like if he isn't phenomenal all the time, like this, this type of deal, I don't know what the end of it's going to look like. Yeah. Oh, but I'm glad that he um, is all sorted out and can go into the season and hopefully blow us all away. So, yeah, I just have a soft spot for him, especially with how like everyone treated him and the media treated him. And this just summer was just a lot. Like, can we talk about like, even though his assists might not be there, he's still consistently a 30 goal scorer. And that's the thing that like kind of blew my mind is that like how quickly people just devalue goals when just just like five seconds before they were talking about how important goals are. Right. And it's just like, okay, but here's a goal scorer. And, and as Cassie, exactly. And like, as Cassie said, like his defensively, he was not that bad and he was not worse than Connor. I mean, Kyle Connor. So what's the truth? Like when you look at the contracts, it seems like there's a very big difference when realistically there was an end. Cassie said that like Kyle was getting carried on his other team, like on his line. Whereas like line a was like kind of doing it on his own. Like, you know, not, not like line was doing it up and down the line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, so as we've mentioned a little bit, uh, Kyle Connor was also signed in the 2018-2019 season. He played 82 games, scored 34 goals, 32 assists for a total of 66 points. Um, and he signed a seven-year deal um, with an average salary of $7.142 million um, for a total value of $50 million. And each year from the 1920 season through the 25-26 season, he will be receiving um, $7.142 or $7,142,857 in salary. Um, And then he will be 29 at the end of the deal and will be an unrestricted free agent. So quite different than um, Line-A's. line yeah. Deal. (laughs) Personally, I hate it. it. I think that's way too much money for Kyle Connor. Like, he was... I don't know why everybody, there are people in Winnipeg and there are people outside of Winnipeg that thinks that Kyle Connor is better than Patrick Laine. Mm-hmm. I do not know why that is the case because I don't think that he is. He's not better. Like we said before, he's not better defensively. Like he like he can score goals, um, but I think Laine has a bigger upside in that department like I just would like to see him without Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley I would like to see it yeah I don't think this is a good deal at all like at all like I hate it very much I personally agree with Christy like wholeheartedly um which is surprising but I just feel like this is way too much to give Kyle and if you thought that this is what he's worth the fact that you would pay line a less is just i mean it just it just shows what we've been thinking and kind of what was like everyone's thought all summer is that 
they seem to value Kyle Connor more than Line A. And for me, I just don't understand that. And then they, like, here's like, I don't want to bash Kyle Connor because I feel like I have been. He is a good player, and like, he they're both young, and they both can develop into really good players. I just like Chrissy said, think that Line A has a higher upside. Like, and just to just like one player, you say just all they do is score goals. That's it. But you don't give them, you don't put them in the same position as other players to succeed. Like if we were to see Line A with Blake Wheeler and Mike Shar- Mark Sharfley, wait. Mike, Mark, Mark Shifley, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, consistently, the, like, the for a season, his numbers would be completely different. And it's just disconcerting um, or disheartening for me that Lina isn't valued like Kyle Connor. And I think that's what ma- makes me look at his contract negatively. Even even outside of the whole Kyle Connor and Patrick Lina like debate or whatever like he's making more than Mark Shifley and and Ehlers and I think they have more how do you call it like play driving ability than yeah. um Kyle Connor and I just I mean you, you could just say they're better players we, like yeah. all around better players yeah like I, I I thought that he would fall around like the six million dollar range and I think this contract is a a bet like for him to kind of prove himself and like I don't want to say that they value Kyle Connor more than Patrick Line I feel like Line like um Chevy if he could have he would have signed Line long term but I think that's more Line not wanting to be locked up in Winnipeg long term especially because like if if it's longer they would have to drive the price down lower and I think Line is like no I like, I can be better, and I'm going to do better, and I'm going to earn, like, a bigger contract. I don't know. This might be, like, naive on my side, but do you think that maybe Line A... I mean, he'll still be an RFA at the end of his contract. He'll be so young. Do you think that maybe, like, he would want to be open to other options while Kyle Connor maybe doesn't necessarily see that for himself and it's like eh, I'll just stay in Winnipeg for as long as they'll have me this might be me projecting my feelings on the line <laughs> a but I feel like with line a towards the end of it he might have felt because I, I never thought that line a had a problem with Winnipeg and living in mm-hmm. Winnipeg or anything like that but I feel like towards the end of this like he might have felt a little jilted and line is really sensitive <laughs> so he probably like if I don't know me personally if I'm going through this and like towards the, like it's getting closer to the season and I'm not signed I'm probably thinking about other places that I can play in and being like oh well playing there wouldn't be so bad or like you know so just like thinking about it so maybe he was just like let me just see in two years maybe the grass is greener on the yeah. other side yeah. Because they have grass, unlike when that has snow. <laughs> I feel like with any um, with any athlete that's put in the same position as Line A, um, they they would like start thinking of other options, you know. Because I mean, when you're drafted that high, you think you're going to stay with the team forever, mm-hmm. um, or your whole career. And but like the situation, it it got like kind of nasty in Winnipeg, yeah. and like. I know I'm biased because I was I was always and probably will always be on line A side. So I can see like him thinking, keeping that option open. I don't want it to happen because I do 
like all I like him in Winnipeg and I I like the idea of him staying his whole career but like you said in that article um you know hockey's a business first and foremost and like you know when you see when you see like the true colors of a of an organization and like I'm not saying that Winnipeg is like treated him so horribly and all that stuff but I'm just saying like the fact that you might feel like they're not giving you what's fair and maybe they don't value as high value as high as you thought they did um I could see him like keeping his options open or even starting to think about other places that may be an option to play in our main negotiations are hard they are they are especially this season like I mean it's the NHL is changing and I think it's that's good because I think it's it gives the players a little bit more power and I think they definitely deserve that so they are both signed. they're both signed <laughs> which is looking a little people are talking about Toronto and their situation Winnipeg, Winnipeg? Not easy. Oh no they didn't um okay so finally Miko Rantanen for the Avalanche he played 74 games for 31 goals 56 assists and 87 points um, and then he went on to sign a six-year deal with an average value of $9.25 million and a total value of $55 million. So for the first two years, in 2019, 2020, and 2021, um, his base salary will be $12 million. In 21-22, his base salary will be $10 million. In 22-23, his base salary will be $6 million. 23-24, his base salary will be $9.5 million. 24-25, his base salary will be $6 million. No signing bonuses. And he will be... 28 years old at the end of the deal and he will be a unrestricted free agent i'm just gonna say i don't really know the avalanche's um like situation as far as like cap and who they will have to sign and what's going on there but i mean good for miko i think he's like their first player that's actually like made a bunch (laughs) yeah like our big deal yeah because a bunch of their players are making, like, less than 6.5. It's a good contract because it's not as much as Mitch. Um, <laughs> and they their, their cap has been so good because of the contracts that have been, that, that they have on there, so. Can you imagine signing a player for $9.25 million and still having, you still having, like, a decent still having cap space after that like they still have like 6.3 million in cap yeah they could sign someone else <laughs> if they wanted to <laughs> like yeah they could they could so any last thoughts on this rfa class um was there anyone significantly overpaid besides kyle connor um anyone significantly <laughs> underpaid any thoughts all of these um all of these rfas except for one are all wingers and normally it's centers that get paid a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. like, how does this kind of impact? Like, what does this mean for, like, centers and even wingers, like, moving forward in that they're able to se- get their bags, secure their bags? I think, I just think that this means that centers are going to get paid even more. <laughs> like, <laughs> you love to see that. Um, so, um, but yeah, I feel, but I, I think that, more I think we're starting or hockey is starting to value wingers more because you see how many skilled wingers there are and how even on the wing you can drive play and be a positive to your team and still be good defensively which I think is well I think it's true in in a sense I think that people 
really downplay like how good some wingers are defensively but you know with Ovechkin and the guy in um, Chicago and Tarasenko like you see how like important wingers are Um, even Panarin like you know so there's like a lot of skill and like these young guys are showing that and I think they're demanding like what's like their worth so I think that that wraps up everything for the RFAs except for what does this mean for Julius Honka I don't know <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. Because people were like, all the RFAs are signed, but I think somebody was like, no, Julius Honka, he's still not signed, and I think doesn't didn't he have to trade? Yeah, I was gonna say that. I was like, didn't he request to trade? Yeah, a request is know. just a request. <laughs> and that's what I asked. That. I was like, well, do teams have to like you know trade them? And the answer is no, they don't. So. I mean, I feel like it kind of forces their hand because then, like, you know that your player's, like, unhappy. Well, I mean, look at the abs. I know. <laughs> care less about Duchesne. So moving on to some other news. So Justin Falk was traded to the Blues from Carolina. The Blues received Justin Falk and a 2020 fifth-round pick in return for Joel Edmondson, Dominic Bach, and a 2021 seventh-round pick. And Carolina will also retain... $676,667 of Falk's salary, and the Blues then went ahead and re-signed Justin Falk to a seven-year deal with an um, annual value of $6.5 million. I think Joel Edmondson is better than him, cheaper than him. Um, I think that this kind of... This is weird because this is the exact money that... Uh, Petter Angelo makes and they have to re-sign him so it's just like do they think that they can move on from him and just have Justin Falk like slide into that spot because I think they're gonna be in for a rude awakening if they think that's true <laughs> so right now I pulled up daily face-off line combinations for the blues and right now Justin Falk is on the bottom pair <laughs> which I actually don't hate that um, and neither does Daily Faceoff because the pair of Carl Gunnarsson and Justin Falk for their th- third pairing defenseman is the number one third pairing defenseman in the league. Pending on if the Blues play their defensive pairings this way, which it's Vince Dunn, Petrangelo, J. Bo Meester, Perico, and then Gunnarsson and Falk. I mean, that's that's a pretty solid def- defensive core but but do you want to pay 6.5 million for the next seven years for your third pair oh no i'm just thinking of the trade right now the fact that they signed him to that like (laughs) before they even saw him play for the team like it's a no from me (laughs) but if that's how they want to live their life i'm not going to tell them no (laughs) i'm not like i i don't know how this i i don't even know how their defensive pairings is going to play out so them signing him just is so confusing to me that's fair but I just think it's weird that I guess Justin Falk is younger than um, Petr Angelo but Mm -hmm. like that's literally the exact same money that he's making now so instead of using that to lock up your captain and your number one defenseman for a couple more years you use it to sign Justin Falk for like seven years I don't know that's not how I would manage my money. But. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I definitely understand your concerns, and I, 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 <laughs> I agree. I just, 
I just think that they do have a little bit of wiggle room to let, like, so that we can see how this plays out. And it might not be bad in the short term, but it will probably be bad in the long term. Right. Just such a big, like, why? <laughs> like, you could have just not done this. But, um... Yeah, yeah. You could have just stayed exactly the same, and you would have been... You just want to have, like, Pretty you literally solid. did not have to do this. Yeah. So our next topic, which is very different um, and very unfortunate, is Austin Matthews. So in May, Austin was cited for disorderly conduct, uh, conduct after harassing a female security officer. And it was just recently that this was, um, I think I read somewhere that like a Montreal fan actually like found rec- yeah. the record and was like, yeah. oh, yeah. what's this about? Looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then as more details came out, um, the situation got a little bit, well, a lot grosser and grosser and grosser. Um, so basically, Austin and his friends were drunk and proceeded to try to get into a female security officer's car. They were, like, jiggling the handles. It was locked. Um, and when she got out of the car to confront them, he said um, that they or he just wanted to see how she would react and then she sort of sent them away and at that point he proceeded to take off his pants and grab his butt he did leave his underwear on i think she said uh so that's one positive i guess but something that really struck me is that um when you listen to her talk she kind of goes into detail about it and she talks a little bit about how one of his friends who might have been like less drunk than the other ones hung back and was like asking her to um not tell yeah to not tell anyone and really trying to get her to like laugh along with him at how austin was acting and at the whole situation that it was just kind of like a joke um obviously not a good joke not a funny joke and then it appears that he just didn't tell anyone. Kyle Dubas said that he found out on Twitter, um, and he went on to say that it is equally disappointing that the incident happened and that the organization had to find out on Twitter. I was sort of skeptical about that, that he didn't, that he found out um, on Twitter along with everyone else. But like, some other stuff has come out since then, like the stuff about the Leafs having a security officer and all this sort of stuff that kind of makes it sound like, yeah, like Austin didn't tell anyone, but yeah. Yeah. How, um, how do, how, how do we feel? (laughs) I, for one, think that outside of like everything that it's like gross or whatever, I'm kind of glad that they found out on Twitter because if they didn't, then they they would have been able to kind of just make it all go away and we wouldn't have found out, like, at all. Just seeing from when that Cavs fan just, like, found it and, like, people thought that it was because of a bar fight. And I think myself included, I'm just like, okay, whatever, a bar fight's a bar fight. And then it turning out to be something completely different. Like, I remember seeing yeah. people, like, making jokes about it before they found out, like, what it was. Right. Yeah, and I think that's just so wild how it was, it was like a complete 180 than from what everybody thought it was. Yeah. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I just feel like it's very, it's, I definitely agree that it's gross and it's just so disappointing. Like, I'm just so 
disappointed that Austin would do that, but I'm not surprised. Um, and I wouldn't call myself like a like an Austin Matthews fan, but I do feel like I held him to like a different standard just because he is a player of color. And so I'm just like really disappointed in that aspect of it. But the part that is just like so crazy to me, it was just like the reaction on Twitter and, and Twitter is its own little world, um, especially hockey Twitter. But it just like, I'm not surprised that a lot of the guys made jokes about this or just would say that like, oh, hey, this is a joke. But there were a lot of different women on hockey Twitter that tweeted out their their experiences similar to something like this and how, how it's not a joke and it's not funny. You may think something is so like just just lighthearted and just funny, but it's that's extremely scary for a female to go through something like that. And they explained why they don't think it's funny and still like members of the media and like still like different like guys on Twitter on hockey Twitter just continue like there's just lack of empathy or like understanding right. and like to the whole situation to me is just it opened my eyes because I feel like yes I always knew that men suck I, I always knew men ain't <laughs> men ain't shit like yeah men suck but like to just see it so blatantly in front of my face I just was kind of like wow like is this the worst thing that Austin could have done? No, but I think the way that hockey Twitter or just hockey fans in general handle people who have done worse things and more like horrendous things like Patrick Kane, Drew Doughty, even Casey DeSmith and how, so like, I'm not surprised that this incident like, even though it is really unfortunate and really disappointing, because I do like Austin, I'm not surprised that people kind of, like, wrote it away and, like, kind of just be like, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal. But, like, what Austin did is very... It's, like, it's just, like, a... It's a product of a systematic issue, right? And how, like, like what some women... What women consider very scary and dangerous, like... Like, he's not even thinking about it. It's, like, it's something that, like, I feel like yeah. he didn't think about enough to even tell his team or to even tell anyone. Yeah. And it's just, like... Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. And, like, this woman, she... Like, this poor woman, like, she suffers from PTSD. And, like, I don't... Like, mm-hmm. literally, the scariest thing is a group of white-looking drunk men to me. Yeah, Like, at yeah. night, and you're by yourself trying to do your job. And just, like the fact that he didn't even think about it and he's only thinking about it now because some random person on Twitter found it. Like, that's ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like um, she was talking about this a little bit in the um, statement video that was released and she said that she initially wasn't going to really do anything with the charges. Um, I think she reached out to the Matthews family and his dad immediately went into like denial mode saying no like my son wouldn't do that my son wouldn't do that and as a family they kind of brushed it off and that's when she was like no it is Mm -hmm. a big deal and that's when she moved forward um and I was really pleasantly surprised that like the board of the apartment complex I guess said that they would back her the whole way I wasn't expecting that I guess because I guess hockey still isn't like massive in Arizona even though they do have um the coyotes and everything it's just going he is still kind of like a high profile client of theirs so I I was kind of surprised that they would back her on that but of course you know in a good way and yeah 
And I could be wrong, but I, I, I believe in the Katie String article for The Athletic, the management was saying, like, we've had issues with this family or him before, mm-hmm. so that's why we'll back, like, we're backing you. If you feel comfortable going forward with this, we'll back you for that. Yeah. And that was also a different, that was something that I was just like, oh, so you've had problems. Yeah. Austin has been doing something before. Like, I felt like a mom that was like, excuse me? <laughs> but, yeah, like, the fact that, like, this woman and like the thing about like hockey may not be that big in Arizona but Austin is like a well-known name Mm -hmm. like in hockey specifically and specifically in Arizona so like they're going against like I'm not gonna say like the prince of hockey but like I mean he's the he's the captain almost the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs like or like you know the person that they were pumping up to be the captain and like he has clout in this league, like in this league and in Arizona. So the fact that like this security guard, um, and this apartment complex felt the need to be like, yeah, no, we will back you. We will stand against this and, you know, show the truth. And, and all the digging and investigation that the, um, media has done, like it, their stories seem like every time you read a different article, their stories seem legit and they don't seem like they seem forthcoming. I didn't watch the whole video, um, of the body worn camera for, for the police officer, but they like, no one's hiding anything. No one's not making any comments except for Austin's family. I was just going to say, I find it not surprising, maybe more telling that like no one's saying this didn't happen. They're just saying it's not a big deal that it did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's the whole thing of, like, in the grand scheme of things and compared to what other NHL players have done, it's not that big of a deal. But, like, this is how things escalate, right? When you let, like, the little things slide and then Mm -hmm. it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, and I I just hate how this conversation is tied into... Austin being named captain or whether or not he is Mm going to be named captain and it's just like these like they can be very like two different things but it's like if you guys are going to name him captain you guys are going to name him captain I I hate that like I feel like this is like you said Chrissy this isn't the worst thing that any NHL player has done but I feel like it's it's an eye-opening experience and the fact that everyone's just brush or a lot of people are just brushing it aside as if as if it's just not a big deal or it's a joke or we've all been there. We've all been drunk. Like, I'm sorry. I've been destroyed in public and has, and have never like gone to a police, a security guard's car and, and wiggled the door just to think it was funny. Like like I've never, yeah. Like, and then just like that, what like, and then to, then to, to, for someone to be like, Hey, stop doing that. And you walk away and like you pull your pants down. Like, yeah, he had underwear on and like, it just, it's just like, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. Like I've just never. And then f- to see so many like white guys say like, Oh, I've done, everyone's done this. I've done the same thing. Like, it's just like when people say, or when women say, yeah, you've done that. And that's fucking terrifying. Like, right. don't do that. And for them just not to put two and two together to me is so concerning more than the whole Austin Matthews, issue for me is just the issue that like so many people are telling you this is not funny this is scary this is like how we feel when you do this and that for them to be like relax it's just a joke it's always a joke like no one feels that way and we're like we we literally just told you we do something 
I'm kind of having trouble trying to verbalize it, but like for them to say, we wanted to see how you would react. It's like, they knew she would be scared. Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, what if the, what if it wasn't locked? Like what if the door was open? Like what would you guys have done then? Like it's a group. I don't know how many people were there. I'm going to assume three or more. You're just like that many people while you're, like in a vulnerable spot like she's doing her job like she was doing paperwork she said yeah and just so like, yeah i'm not i i've just seen this in passing but i've seen police officers late at night in their car doing paperwork and i'm not saying she's a police officer but i've seen like you know people in like you know their cars doing paperwork yeah. at late at night and so that's like a normal th- why would you like what what makes you think that it was fun or funny to mess with them right to to joke around about that i just to me i can't rationalize that it was just a joke and you just want to see how they react that's that's terrifying that's not funny i like a like i think maybe it was three no four years ago i went to the bank um at like one o'clock in the morning as i was getting off of work and got robbed and ever since then like i am like I check everything like it's just like traumatizing experiences <laughs> may force you to realize because before then I was like blasting Justin Bieber like in the car and was not paying attention to anything and the person that robbed me was drunk and thank god I like he was like loud coming up because I could hear him yeah so I completely understand like being terrified and yeah yeah I spent a lot of my time wandering in the dark for work purposes and it's always in the back of your mind I guess and yeah yeah. for reasons like this yeah yeah exactly and it's crazy that you know we think of this stuff for like you know safety purposes but and someone would just think of it as a joke yeah yeah it's just the but I know that our previous guest real good pros mm-hmm. that elizabeth yeah. was on the news so if you want to know what they feel like from a leaf's perspective we'll definitely link her her interview on our twitter yeah, account definitely. But, yeah so because they go into depth and they go like further into the leaf part of it all right so moving in to the sort of bulk of this episode um <laughs> We're just going to do a real quick preview of the Metro Division. Um, some would say the messiest division, but um, so starting with the Capitals. In 2018-2019 season, they won 48 games, lost 26, and tie, or lost in overtime in eight um, for a total of 104 points. They've added Radko Gudas, Richard Panic, Carl Haglin, Brendan Lutzik, and Garnet Hathaway. And they've subtracted Matt Niskanen, Brett Connolly, Andre Burakovsky, and Brooks Orpik. Don Luzjuskin predicts that they've added 2.1 wins and uh, reduced $4 million in salary. They, it appears that they've remodeled their bottom six on the cheap and have positioned themselves for a projected 96.7 points, though he notes that um, his model tends to underestimate the caps and that without age adjustments, they'd be around 99.9 points. Um, Do you have any breakout players or concerns about the caps? What do we think they'll look like? I liked Dom's article on the caps, like his like breakdown or um, of their team, just because 
I like everyone gives them so much credit. And like I know I say this because I'm about to give them so much credit. I like that he kind of notes that like their star players are getting older and he doesn't really know if they can continue to produce at on the elite level. But he takes it like Evgeny Kuznetsov, how that's gonna like his season is gonna go. Is he gonna continue to project upward to elite level or is he gonna, you know, wave back down? I don't know. His consistency has always been an issue with Kuznetsov, so I don't know how that's going to um, pan out, but I still think the Capitals are going to be the Capitals, unfortunately, <laughs> in the Metro Division. And still, I think I would probably project them to be around a 100-point, 102-point team. I don't think they'll fall off that much, but they just their bottom six is the thing that I, I give them so much credit for is that their GM, he finds different players and, and he moves out players that you would think that he would like sign long-term, like, Moving on from uh, Brett Connolly when he scored, like he had an unreal season for them last year, um, I think is kind of important because it's like you make these hard decisions and you move out players that you know you're going to um, overpay for and instead like get different p- players that could have bounce back years. Like Richard Panic could be a really good uh, addition for them. And then moving on from Niskanen to Radko, Radko Gudis, I know a lot of people think – Radko Gudis is just, like, a mindless, like, destroyer of a defenseman. And in some ways, like, yes, he is. But in other ways, like, his underlying numbers are really, really good. And, like, he is a serviceable serviceable, um, bottom pairing or second pairing defenseman. I'm really excited to see how he does in in Washington and see how they play him because his style isn't very – isn't very similar to the the Caps, and I wonder if they're going to adjust for that and how they can fit him into their system. But he's a really good player, and the fact that Niskanen was on a downtrend the past two seasons um, with the Caps, so getting rid of his contract and replacing him with someone who has better underlying numbers is was like one of the smartest moves I, I've seen in the Metro this summer. In Don's like season preview, something that he noted was like their power play wasn't that good and that was like something of a concern for for them because I think I think Backstrom struggled or something but like I don't believe that this team will be bad until they actually are bad I would like to see them be at 96.7 though I do not believe (laughs) I don't believe that's gonna happen because I think like with the signing of like Carl Haglin for like their bottom six I think is really good for them um, I don't know that much about Richard Ponick, but I think, like, Lars Eller with um, Carl Hagelin should be really good. I know Brendan Leipzig, he was on the Leafs and, like, the Canucks, and, like, he didn't really find his place, and maybe being in more of, like, a systematic role could be beneficial for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that um, I know that Holtby, I mean, like any goalie, can get, you know, on a cold streak, of course, he can also go on very, very hot streaks and even middle of the road brain. Hopefully, is better than most goalies. But um, I would just be concerned about their backup. I know that he did really well for them um, two years ago when they won the cup. But I just I, I don't find him to be like a um, like someone you want to be dependent. Reliable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, that would be, mm-hmm. I guess, my biggest concern. But you can say that about any team. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, I, I agree with that. I, I don't know. I keep wanting to, like, count him out, um, but he was kind of serviceable 
what, like two years yeah. ago. And even last year, I mean, they still got like what, 104 points. So they do now have like this, their new, like, not new, but their goalie prospect that was like highly touted. Um, he was one of the like best goalies, um, like prospect goalies, goalie prospects, Jesus. But he's with the Bears, I believe. I am blanking on his name, of course. I would like to see if maybe like he does well in the AHL and maybe he comes up because I know there was a big question between like having him and then re-signing Hopi because this is the last year on Hopi's contract um, and to see if they extend him or if they let him leave but yeah I just think the Caps are going to be the Caps yeah and stay at the top of the division which um breakout players for me I think I want to see Jacob Verona I think he solidified his his spot in the top six depending on how their lineup uh goes but I'd like to see him I think he's done good and he got he got signed to a, a good contract definitely for their their cap situation but it was a bridge contract I think will he's going to try to prove himself and I think this year would be a a good year to start honestly (laughs) my breakout player would be Kuznetsov just because I like him and he is streaky (laughs) I want to see how he comes back from his suspension yeah Next up are the New York Islanders. In 2018-2019, they won 48 games, lost 27, and lost 7 in overtime for 103 points. They've added Simon Barlamov and Derek Brassard. Um, they've subtracted Roman Leonard and Valtteri Fipula. Um And they have decreased by a calculated one win, but have added $0.8 million in um, salary. Their projected points are 89.2, which is quite a bit lower than what they ended up with last year. Um, mm-hmm. Do we have any breakout players or concerns? I have concerns, I think. Um, and I mean, they're not, I'm not upset about these <laughs> concerns. I am actually, and I look forward to the Isles taking a step back in the Metro division just because, ew. And also, like, their, their goaltending situation, I just, that was my biggest question for them. Like, Robin Leonard wanted to, like, sign there, and I don't understand why they would not re-sign him because he had such a breakout year for them and he was such a major part of their team their team success last year so I don't understand why they would move on from him and then sign Vermalov long term I believe like that was a contract you could have given to Robin Leonard that was a big concern for me also I want the Isles to do bad but then Barry Trotz is a good coach and so I don't know how bad they will do or how big of a step back they'll take. They were the only team smart enough to sign Derek Broussard, and that just put, leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So I wish Derek I wish Derek <laughs> will have success, but I don't know if I wish their team to have success. I think he's sick right now. <laughs> he cannot take a – like, he cannot catch a break. Um, I think I, I, I agree that I think Robin Leonard – we can agree. Oh. I think Robin Leonard is better than Varmalov, and I I'm confused as to why they didn't sign him. Um, I am curious as to how Derek Broussard will be in the third line center role because I think that's where they'll play mm-hmm. him. Um, because he wasn't used to that before when he was in Pittsburgh and then playing in. Colorado, and I don't think they played him as second-line center. And just 
having him play like a whole 82 as a third line center and how he will adjust to that. I'm very interested in seeing. I think the Islanders will take a step back, even though they play such like a systematic game. Um, I did see a couple of their preseason games and Thomas Grice, unfortunately, looked very good. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen Verlama play. Hopefully he's trash, but I think their power play should be good. Um, yeah, I just why? Like they have like, who do they have on this team? And yet, how did they, how? Like, Sweat. Barry Trotz and really good goaltending is a hell of a drug. Like, that's a concoction that... Yeah, I think... And the pens. I think, they should, <laughs> I think they should have... They should have Grice as their number one, or him having more games than Varlamov. But, like, why would you pay Varlamov that much money if he's not going to have the yeah. majority of the starts? Just a loose signing that's just, like, Why? And it was, and it's so great to see. It's like very refreshing because he made a lot of those signings in, or he had a lot of those signings in um, Toronto. And his first year with the um, with the Islanders, a lot he made some good moves. Like I mean, questionable, but they turned out good. And so I like to see him make his shitty signings um, again, or like not shitty, but like questionable. Right. So I enjoy it. I hope it works out the way I hope I want it to. <laughs> like, sure. I don't think the... Like, if Ramalov is good, I'm gonna be... No. <laughs> I don't think the... I don't think the bottom is gonna fall out on them. Like, I don't think they should... I think they'll still make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I still think they'll be, like, really mm-hmm. hard to play against. So, if he gets a chance to be on the team, Josh Hosang, mm-hmm. I would love to see him do well. I would love to see him actually get a chance in this organization. Um... So, yeah, that's who my breakout player is if he gets a chance. Um, Tito, I think that he could be a good possible breakout player if he's in the top six. I don't know if they'll play him in the top six. I don't think so, um, which is unfortunate because I think he does. He has skill and he has, I think he can do well if he's put in a position to play with, like, good players. So we'll see. But, yeah, those are my two breakout if they get the opportunity, which I don't really think they will, but. So for the Carolina Hurricanes, in the 18-19 season, they won 46 games, lost 29, and lost 9 in overtime for a total of 99 points. Um, they've added Eric Kula, Ryan Dezingle, who is currently injured, James Reimer, um, Brian Gibbons, Gustav Forsling, and Joel Edmondson. They've subtracted Michael Furling, Curtis McElhaney, Calvin DeHaan, Adam Fox, Greg McKegg, Justin Falk, and Justin Williams. is um, ret- well, He doesn't want to call it a retirement, but he's taking a year off. They have added a negative 0.6 wins and added $3.3 million in salary and are projected to get to 100 points, 100.4 exactly. What do we think? (laughs) (laughs) When I first read the article, one of um, Dom's main points was just how, I'm not going to say bad, but how much of a fit Justin Falk was not on this team anymore. Since then, they got rid of him. So I think this team is going to be really good and that's really concerning. I think like when you look at their line, their depth chart and like the, in Dom's article, how like their lineup, I mean, Carolina has some really, really good pieces. Like Nino Nino Ryder was just such a great trade, like just an addition. Um, 
Andre Svechnikov, if he can take another, like, solid step forward uh, this season. Um, Ryan Dezingle, I know he's hurt when he comes back. Like, it's just, they have really good pieces. And then their defense. I was kind of concerned with Mrazek and Reimer, but behind that defense, I they just kind of have to be serviceable. Yeah. And that's the scary part is that like they can kind of get by with their, with such a good defense and such a good top six. I don't think they made the, the, like they're the team that I think made the best moves to push them the furthest. Mm -hmm. Like Carolina is who I, I wouldn't be surprised if they jumped the caps as a top in the division, it would make perfect sense for them. Like if it's Carolina, Washington or Washington, Carolina um, in the Metro this year, because they've just added um, such good pieces to an already good team, and they've subtracted some not great pieces from an already good yeah. team. So I think they're the team. They didn't make the biggest moves, but I think they'll make the biggest movement in the Metro division. Just with the addition of like Jake Gardner and being able to slot him on his on the second power yeah. play, you know, where he's like a really good power play guy. Oh, it's just like yeah. I wish my team could have done that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, are there any concerns with Carolina? I would say, like, is there any... I would say goaltending, but yeah. I don't think those are the best goaltenders, but just behind yeah. that defense and behind, like, their forwards, they should be all right. I was my I was concerned on how long of a contract they gave Mrazek. He really doesn't need to be that great. Any breakout players, do you guys think? I can't say his name. Andre. Uh-oh. Oh, Andre Svechnikov? Him. If he can do really well um, in his sophomore year. Speaking of hate to see it, the Columbus Blue Jackets in the 1819 season, they went 47-31-4 um, for a total of 98 points. They've added Gustav Nyquist, um, and they've subtracted Sergei Bobrovsky, Artemi Panarin, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, Keith Kincaid, and Adam Nickwade. Um, and all of that has reduced their wins by 0.75. They've subtracted 19.7 million in salary. <laughs> they sort of have like a hangover from going all out the night before. Um, you don't regret it, but there were definitely some decisions that were made that have impacted you today. They are projected to have 87.3 points. They have a lot of questions to answer, such as what is life after Panarin and Bobrovsky? Um, who are their goalies? And will there be any breakout players? So what I'm going to say, this is like taking my hate of Columbus out of it. I think it's kind of unfortunate what happened to them um, losing all those key players because, you know, the choices that the GM made, I forget their GM's name. Isn't Yarmo it like... Kekalainen. Yo, Kekal... Yeah, Kekalainen. Like, he... Like, he was the one GM that, like, was like, fuck it, we're going all yeah. in. And he made some really good trades and, like, he was not afraid to, like, get na- big-name players, trade draft picks, like... So if it would have worked out, I feel like... And, I mean, maybe it did, because, I mean, they got to the second round of the playoffs, but just to see it all fall apart like this, it kind of wasn't worth... I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. If they If it did work out and, say, they went to the Stanley Cup final, you know, won or lost still, you got to the Stanley Cup finals and, you know, it making all those hard decisions and trading away draft picks and, you know, not more, not mortgaging your future, but not get like kind of not caring about your future would make it worth it. And like, you would see more GMs make these interesting trades and like go all in for a year. 
so I I feel bad that it didn't work out that way because I would love to see the the game change and to for GMs to be more to be less conservative and to you know make some cool moves that like are like you never see. So I kind of feel bad for Columbus in that sense. But bringing back my hate for Columbus, I love. I think the bit the one thing that like. I have, that shocked me the most is that they got rid of Bobrovsky, Panarin, Duchesne, Dzingel, and then, like, I mean, I value Keith Kincaid because I feel like he's is a good goaltender. But they only they only subtracted, like, not even one win from, like, their projected lineup or whatever. Yeah, but... um, and you would think that Bobrovsky and Panarin would add so much to a team or to a team's, like, projection. Um for wins and losses, so that was one thing that I was kind of like, I mean, you they really didn't get, Gustav Nyquist I think is a very good player, I don't know if he equals a, a Bobrovsky and a Panarin in terms of, like, wins and losses, but that's just me. I don't know, I, maybe I have not, like, too much faith, but I think, I think their first line with Dubois and Atkinson, <laughs> I think with like Panarin, Duchesne is a really big loss, and I do think that it's gonna affect Dubois and Atkinson's numbers. But I think they hope that Alexander Texier is gonna be a really good add for them, and like him having him slot on the first line will have them be like a complete line. Um, I do think that at this point they are hoping that Alexander Wemberg takes that next step and being like a really good center for them because he's been not great. It, it hasn't been consistent for them with him. And I do think that like, I, I don't know why, but I feel like they play like a really good team game and that, that they're kind of able to win by committee, but also like, bef- like before Panarin, they were able to win by committee. And I think that they can do that again um, I think that Wierenski, well, not really Wierenski, that Seth Jones on the defense helps them a lot um, in terms of kind of covering up what their goalies might miss. Ryan Murray, he's just been plagued with injury, and he hasn't been able to really show them what they could do. And I feel like this preseason, he's kind of been getting his step a little bit. Um, my biggest concern and my biggest question would be their goaltending and that like they lost Sergei Bobrovsky who was so important for them and for like a really long time and Sergei was able to kind of progress as a goalie with them and they didn't really do anything to replace him or kind of address that like they do have these two rookies basically in net and I think Corpa Corpusalo, I think he's been okay for them, but I'm not sure if I would trust him as my number one goalie. And the other one is literally a rookie, like he's literally a child. So I don't. His name is Elvis, though, which is fun. But um, I don't know, like, what that's gonna be like. Like, they're betting a lot on these goaltenders. I don't think they'll be like at the bottom of the East, but I'm not sure if they'll be like such a for sure, like, they're going to make the playoffs. 
Um, one of their beat writers for The Athletic, Allison, um, she, I listened to, I, I heard her talking somewhere about Elvis, their goalie, and they were saying that he is a very highly touted goalie prospect. So I don't know, um, I don't remember if he played in the AHL last season. I He might have, but I would be a hypocrite to sit here and say like, oh, like I have no faith in their, their him because like, I have faith in Carter Hart, who is not technically a rookie, but is very young. And to put all your hopes and dreams in, <laughs> into a goalie, like, yeah, I'm doing that for Philly. So, But I just, I don't know if I trust their top six and their goal and their defense enough to sustain the loss of a Panarin and a Bobrovsky and a Duchesne. I don't think I do. But that could just be me undervaluing Columbus, which is completely fair, because I, I really don't know that much about the team. John Tortorella, I his coaching style, I don't know how sustainable that is. I, but maybe, it's again, this could be just me waiting for the wheels to fall off of Columbus, because I feel like he overstays his welcome. And I keep thinking that one of these years, maybe this year or next year, he might. I just don't know with Columbus, like, what is management's, approach to this season like I think um Kekalainen I feel like with his moves last year he was just like we're going for it whatever happens after happens after which is refreshing and they did do something it worked out for Mm -hmm. them in their favor and that they were able to win a round which they've never done before but (laughs) now they have to deal with the repercussions right Mm -hmm. and I think I, I think that he's very very realistic in being that like well he probably didn't say this to them because obviously like why would you but he'll probably just be like look like the way this is built um, it might not be the best but I can also see him being like well we're just gonna go for it see what we have like if we get like a high draft pick we get a high draft pick and mm-hmm. yeah so for the 2020 draft they have their first round pick they don't have their second or their third. They have their fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. And then the year after, they have... So they That's still have, they have all their first-round picks. Yeah. They have all their first-round picks for the next three years. They don't have their second for the 2020 and 2021. I mean, it's not that big of a hole. I just wonder... Yes. Not necessarily drafting players, but it's just, like, using those picks as enticing to get better players for mm-hmm. the team now. And maybe that's, like, a toxic way of looking at it because that's such a Pittsburgh way of, like, trying to trade players to get, like, players for the now and not the future, but... Yeah, I mean, they're not in, like, a terrible position. They're not in complete... No, no. No, I mean, they have room to take on a a nice contract. Yeah. You know. um, So, my guess would be, um, I'd like to see Pierre-Luc Dubois as a breakout player. I think that he still sort of has to, like, step into his own on the team, and I think that he could be really impactful um, once he does. Moving on to the Philadelphia Flyers. They went 37-37-8 and in the 18-19 season for 82 points. They've added Kevin Hayes, Matt Niskanen, Tyler Pitlick, um, Justin Braun, Nate Prosser, Chris Stewart who um, I guess was on a professional tryout, and Alan Vigenet? Uh, oh, yeah. Alan Vigneault. <laughs> 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 Sorry, friend. I love that. I love that. 
every letter gets pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it should be. That's how it should be. They've subtracted Radko Gudas, Kim Talbot, Andrew McDonald, Phil... Now I feel self-conscious. Phil Veroni? <laughs> yeah, Phil Verone. <laughs> Yori Letera? Yori? Yori? Yori Letera. Right. And um, Nolan Patrick, um, he has um, been honest about having a migraine disorder, so until he sort of gets that under control, um, he may be in or out of the lineup. Um, I know that he's missed a few preseason games, but, I mean, as a migraine haver, that is horrific, and I cannot imagine. imagine. Yeah. With, like, all the bright lights and crowds screaming. Anyway, they have added 0.5 wins. There might have been salary added. Um, they've addressed the hole in, <laughs> in their second line center um, and revamped the defense. And they have a projected points up total of 91.5. Any breakout players are concerned? I would like to see how Kevin Hayes does on the Flyers, especially if he is going to be on a line with JVR and Voracek. I'm not sure about Voracek, but I know... JVR gets to the net and he's a scorer and Kevin Hayes is a good like distributor and he's a good two-way center. I would like to see him succeed in that way. Their bottom six is a really big question to me and I know it's not um, solidified yet. They're still trying out with people. Um, so that's the question. Their defense, I, I don't really know about their defense. I think it sounds, it looks good, but I'm also not sure if, like Danielle says, if Ivan Provorov sticks with his shutdown role and is not trying to be offensive, I think he should be okay. And as long as he's not on a power play, he should be good. I think Carter Hart should be fine. But if Brian Elliott has to start a majority of the games, and I think that should be a question. I will say with Alan Vigneault, he is a very defense-minded coach, and he gets people to play in that system where they're playing like a 200-foot game. So I don't know. I don't really know about their prospects and how they would fit with that, but I think you want your forwards to do that. You want them to think not only offensively but defensively as well. Mm-hmm. Like I know Kevin Hayes said that like even though he hated it at first with Vigneault like it's really impacted his game and has made him like a really good player so I think that could be beneficial for them especially for a team that has a lot of young players yeah I think that they made they did make a lot of changes that will benefit um their younger players I think it um everything was made to sort of um complement that and I think that that will be really good for their development so I'm excited to see um where where they go from here I feel like the Flyers it's very similar to what I said about Buffalo but not to that extent um Alan Vigneault is a new coach so I really don't know like what he's gonna do but from what I've seen like in lineups and stuff currently it's going to probably be um, Giroux, Couturier, Konechny, and then Limblom, Hayes, and Voracek as the top six, which is very, very good. 
Um, Oscar Lindblom is like a he's a very good young player that has you know every year he continues to do better and especially last year um, even under Dave Haxtell um, he definitely shined and it's it's good to see because you know Philly isn't waiting for their kids to take a step up and for him to finally be here and to take a step up and to push for a role in the top six is very <clears throat> It's very good, and it's very good for their depth, for the fact that GVR can be on the third line. Um, unfortunately, Nolan Patrick's hurt, or, or yeah, dealing with um, his disorder, his migraine disorder, so we don't know when he'll, when he'll get back. But there actually are a lot, not a lot, but there are players that have the same or a similar disorder and are still very elite. With the Flyers, I think their defense, at first I was very skeptical of like the moves they made, especially signing Hayes to that much of... A contract, like it's just a lot of money to for a for a player, um, especially when you have like Nolan Patrick coming up as a center, Morgan Frost coming up as a center. But currently, they're both hurt. Getting Kevin Hayes was like it was important, but you don't realize how important until now when you're like, okay, Nolan's hurt, Morgan's hurt, and Scott Lawton. I love him to death, but he cannot be a two C. So that Hayes signing, yes, everyone talks about the overpayment, but it was very, very useful and very, very good. The defense, at first I was very nervous about it because you get Matt Niskanen, as we talked about uh, with the Caps, he's on a decline, and then Justin Braun um, from the Sharks, who statistically is not very good, (laughs) but um, coming into the season, we thought that Braun would play with Travis Sanheim, who is a young defenseman, who is a young offensive defenseman and I'll talk about him a little bit later but we thought that he they were going to be paired together turns out he's there Gosses Bear and Braun have been paired together and they have actually been really really good so right now that's the second pair again in the summer we thought that uh, Provorov and Niskanen were going to be paired together which actually is horrifying because um, Provorov didn't have that great of a season last year but he's still the number one defenseman and he is kind of like a defensive defenseman so the fact that he would be playing with Matt Niskanen is concerning because Matt Niskanen is a, de- as a defensive defenseman and he's actually not great and he hasn't looked that good to me especially them together haven't looked that good so that was kind of ner- scared that was making me nervous but AV kind of switched that and now Travis Sanheim and um, Ivan Provorov are playing together which is good because it's a defensive defenseman and a and an offensive defenseman to get paired together. And then that has left Matt Niskanen on the third pair, which is very good because he should be a third pair defenseman. I know how much, like compared to how much he's getting paid, he should probably be higher in the lineup, but his skill set is that of a third pair. So he should kind of be sheltered in that way. Also, um, that kind of leaves him with Phil Myers, who is another very new offensive def- uh, defensive or offensive defenseman prospect for the Flyers. And so him with Matt Niskanen is actually very ideal because it gives you that offense and defensive side. And they're both, they will be sheltered because Myers is very, um, this will be his first full season in the NHL. So right now the defense, it's definitely a lot of questions, but it's a lot, a lot better than it was last year, which I can, I feel like you can say about the Flyers as a whole. It's a lot better than last year, but who knows what's going to happen because it's a new coach. Um, from what I've seen with AV, he's very demanding of his players, and in a way, I was kind of nervous about that type of mentality, but it's good for the team because a lot of the older players, 
they don't step up as naturally as like Claude Giroux and, and Sean Couturier do. Um, and that was one of the biggest things that why so many people loved Wayne Simmons is because he would bark at the players and be like, you need to step up. Like you need to do better. Whereas like um, Sean Couturier and like uh, Claude Giroux, they really don't. They kind of feel like they lead by example. And because I'm working really hard, you should be working really hard. Um, and Wayne was that like, AV is very much of a coach that's like, no, I see you not working hard enough. You need to work hard enough. Like, I'm going to hold you accountable. And if you don't work, then there's someone else that can take your spot. So, yeah, a lot of questions with the Flyers. I don't know how much, um, like, I don't know how much the additions that they made this offseason will push them to be in playoff contention because, like we've said over and over again, the Metro division has just gotten better and better. So I don't know if these additions are enough to like keep up. That with Kevin that. Hayes should be good Did for them. Did you, by chance, read anything of that Dom wrote about the Flyers? I do know that Shane Gossespair, like, tried. So next up he worked really the hard this summer Rangers. to, like, get back into, In the 2018-2019 like, season, they went 32-36-14 for 78 so points. Hopefully he does. They added Artemi Panarin, Jacob Truba, Adam Fox, Capo Caco, and Vitaly Kravstov. Um, and they've subtracted Jimmy Vesey, Vesey and Neil Pionk. They've, wow, they've, <laughs> they've added six wins. And $16.6 million in salary. I think the general consensus and certainly um, Dom Luchishkin's opinion is that they have <laughs> added the biggest additions, but they still lack depth um, at both forward and defense. They're projected to get 84.9 points. And there are some notable concerns for the Rangers, including center depth and young players taking a huge step forward. So what are our thoughts on the New York Rangers? I feel like our thoughts might be similar, Danielle, but I have a lot of them. Danielle will be the judge of that. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, well, so they added, like, I don't think, I don't know if they pieces and all, like, the consensus is that all good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've watched a couple of their preseason games, and, They've mostly had um, Kako playing with Ryan Strong, which is not ideal. Um, but they also have Chris Kreider on that line. Who's, like, Chris Kreider is good, but I, personally, I felt like he struggled because he's having to, like, carry Ryan mm-hmm. Strong and then Kako can't do what he has to do because, like, that line just doesn't work for me. And they have Buchnevich up with Zinajad, where I feel like Kako should be up there. And also... Like, they have a lot of young players, and they're all, like, good and serviceable, but I think that they might be putting a little too much on them, like, too quickly. And Jacob, like, Brady Shea has looked really good because of Truba, and I think Truba might struggle a little bit, like, quarterbacking that power play, because, like, he's looked a little, like, the passes haven't been as good, and they all just lack chemistry because they brought a whole bunch of new people and no one knows how to play with each other yet so it's all a little sloppy looking right now Brady Shea and Jacob Truba as their number one pair are really long Tony D'Angelo is a piece of poop but he's been okay for them um one Chris has looked good and Georgiev has also looked good um it's just getting their 
forward to kind of configure in a way that makes sense. But yeah, they should be interesting, but I don't think that they should go very far. Yeah, I do agree with you, Christy. I think some of the stuff I think is just, can be worked out with the fact that like it is preseason and not they're it's not going to be perfect because the, this is such a new team. Um, but I think kind of what everyone was saying this summer, like yeah, the the um, the Rangers went out and made like huge moves and like super fun moves, like getting like a, an all star player to come to the, play for their team getting Jacob Truba, who was, like, a very good defenseman. Those are all really cool and exciting things, but there's still a lot of questions with this team. I think the defense, it's just a lot, like you said. So to, far, I feel like he's I don't know if I would. Third pair, it it seems like, is Adam Fox on their second pair, or is he on the third pair so far from um, what you've seen, Christy? Yeah. Okay. I like I don't even remember seeing him. I know they've okay. been playing. Oh, Lee, I keep forgetting about Mark Stahl. <laughs> a lot. Is he and on their second pair or their third pair? Because he might make the team, but <laughs> that's still so many young kids to have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It is, and I just, I don't know, like, Ryan Strom as their 2C is concerning. Just, I mean, their defense, that their defense after Truba, and, I mean, I am skeptical, skeptical, skeptical about Brady Shea, but honestly, for me, it's just, like, anyone after Truba and, and then after, like, five out of their top six is concerning. I'm comfortable with like everyone else I don't feel comfortable with again like their chemistry is something that they can develop over time um but just the the team that like with the players that they have I just don't know if they're gonna be they're gonna make a big a big enough jump as like we kind of thought because like you would think getting true but getting Panarin like would push you into like you know playoff race and maybe they will maybe they they will push for a playoff um, I think that's spot, I was but I, just from what I can see and just from MSG how this, the metrics are shaking like, out, I don't know if quick. I, and it was like I'm comfortable GM thinking that they would. And he was just like, yeah, we made these big moves, but we kind of need to temper expectations and kind of making sure that they know that in the room. And I think they're all really excited because they got all these like good people. And like you can see that these are good players, mm. but like they might be like a year or two away or like a like a center or two away from actually being um, like that actually being viable because they have good goalie depth um, mm-hmm. but and they have good defensemen depth like coming up in a few years but it's just not not yeah. where it is right now mm-hmm. and then I think the coach knows that too because he was like I've coached college hockey like I've yeah. coached like younger players so yeah. Mhm. I mean, besides like Mark Stahl and Brendan Smith, like the, it's a young defense. It's a very young defense, and that's like not even talking about like Keandre coming up and like 
I definitely see him coming up and being like uh, a top four def- pairing, def- like a top four defenseman. So, I mean, the Rangers, they definitely have a lot of questions, but like if the GM is sitting there saying we need to temper expectations and, you know, I think the moves that they made are, will help, de- definitely help in the, in the future, like for sure. Because when you look at the defense, yeah. that's the one thing I'm like looking at so much, but a lot of the older players, like, they don't have that long, like two more years. And that was kind of like when you think that all of their young players and the young players are starting now, like Adam Fox and you said Libor. I I don't know. I'm going to say his name wrong, but the other guy that, yeah, Um, they'll be, they'll have two years in the, in the NHL. And so they won't be as like rookie new um, when newer guys step up for their defense. So they can handle like being paired with like a prospect or a new yeah or a I mean prospect. I think I'm on yeah that same I think the future is path. bright for like, the Rangers but I, definitely I mean I just even last year I you know I remember thinking that they would be very right very now. bad you know most of all because they sort of sent out that email that um letter and were like we're like prepare yourself we're not going to be a great team and then they you could see like moments of them actually being a good team and stringing together you know some convincing letter um wins so i feel like um we might see more of that especially with the moves that they have made but um at the end of the day i think that this will just be another um like building year another on to the New Jersey Devils. In the 2018-2019 season, they went 31, 41, and 10 for 72 points. But in the yeah. offseason, they have added P.K. Subban, Wayne Simmons, John Hayden, Nikita Gusev, and Jack Hughes. Um, and they have subtracted Stefan Nozen, um, Kenny Augustino, John, John Quinville, <laughs> um, and Steven Santini. Um, they've added 1.4 wins and 10.1 in salary, 10.1 million. Theoretically, they should be in the playoff hunt with their additions <laughs> and their s- subtractions. <laughs> and they have a projected point total of 93. Some of the concerns that Donna Strugerskin <laughs> brought up was goaltending and whether or not they can stay healthy. I like the moves that the Devils made. I think I'm still a little bit low on them. Again, I come off as like a hypocrite because to me, their goaltending isn't that great. But Carter Hart is young, just like Mackenzie Blackwood. And yeah, I have faith in him. And I don't know if I have faith in Mackenzie. I think maybe that's just my bias towards the Devils that's coming out. Still with PK on this um, on this team, right? Say PK has a bounce back here. Do we... Their defense, like, (laughs) I guess that moves Sammy Vatnin down. I don't know. Their their defense is suspect to me. Jack Hughes just helps so much. (laughs) It moves Pavel Zaka down. Or not even Pavel Zaka. I forget which one is. Is it Pavel Zaka or Travis Zajac? (laughs) <laughs> Whichever one of them is, like, plays center, I feel like it helps move them down. And I hate that they got Wayne Simmons. They're just, like, trying to woo Taylor Hall, which is, like, same. I would do the exact same thing. But I just don't know if, like, they just still, like, they just still have so much. They, they have they have so far to go. I just don't. 
I'm not scared of them, especially in the Metro. But then, like, I can say that, and they could sweep the Penguins, which the Devils were almost going to do when they were bad. So I don't know. I, I, don't I like truly them. don't care know. about the but um, I, I feel like, them. like I don't want to give them credit, but I feel like the moves they made kind of forced me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we think that PK will make a, a huge difference? Like, do we think he can bounce back? Like, obviously he'll make a difference to this team because I read off their, their defense and it was not that good. But do we yes, think that I PK do, I, I think he at can. 30 years old I just don't know can if bounce back. it's enough to and keep in mind last year he greatly was factor injured into for a, a good chunk of it. Prolonged success in New Jersey. Um, but, yeah, I think in general he can, he can bounce back if only because – Chris Letang's also around that age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I want him to do well, but not too good. Because, I mean, he's in the Metro. I cannot root for him to do well. I could see them getting a lot. Do we think that the Devils will... We'll make a push. I, I know that Dom does because he has them projected for 93 points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And injury. Like, I mean, like, we talked about Montreal. I feel like it depends on the on the Atlantic Next as up, well. Finally, um, we have reached the Pittsburgh Because I don't Penguins feel as confident in the, the Metro season. Or, I mean, they might 44, 26, five, and 12 for, slots a, for the even 100 points. They have added Dominic Cahoon, Brandon Tanev, and Alex Galchenyuk. And they've subtracted Phil Kessel, Olimata, Matt Cullen, and if the reports are to be believed, Jack Johnson it has one foot out the door as we speak. I'm still waiting to see what becomes of that. They have added negative 0.72 wins, probably to the Devils, and they have subtracted 4.72 million um, from cap space. And what is the point of clearing that cap space to begin with if you're just going to sign Brandon Tana for six years? Um, Nevertheless, they're projected to reach 99.7 points. Um, There are a lot of concerns for the Penguins. Um, some of which being the effectiveness of the power play with Phil Kessel having departed and the fact that Jack Johnson is still on the team. But I'll say again, we may be seeing that change soon. So let's do it. Let's let's talk penguins. You know, in the beginning of, like, Beyonce's album, and she's like, what are you doing, my love? Like, that's just me talking to the Penguins. Like, what are you doing? Like, where do we go from here? I forgot, like, I forgot they won 44 games. Like, I just felt like last season was so tumultuous at times. I didn't even realize they got 100 points, which is very, like woe is me because some teams don't reach 100 points which I understand that but like this team that it has good bones but I just don't know if it has enough like if the GM is really helping them out I like the addition of Cahoon I think he can be a serviceable winger 
Um, he's young, he's he's fast, and he's played with skills skilled players and has produced. Um, I think <gasps> I'm the worried three he's gonna go with Johnson. Question mark that we've had for since Benino left is now gone. No, like, I'm Nick sorry. Nick dad is a very good three C. I thought it was going to be I Brian Russ, but now he's hurt. Oh, I thought you were, I literally thought you were going to be like, he was traded with Jack Johnson. I, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So Cahoon, um, Nick Bukestad, I think Jaron McCann is a very good winger. And I think he's kind of like Brian Russ where he can do well on up and down the lineup. Um, and I think that we've seen a little bit more of an emergence of, uh, of Dominic Simone right now. He's playing on the fourth line, but he's been a play driver and he ha- he is a play driver on any line that he's on. So, you know, I think those are positives. Those are positive depth players, which I feel like we haven't had consistent since 2017. And so... If they can be consistent, that is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think that Gino is like he worked out a lot this summer, and he know he wants to be better. So I think that that's some that's a good thing. He's coming in with a positive mindset and a mindset where he wants to prove that he's still at can play at an elite see. level. I also think and that I think the angry and, and, um, and motivated Gino is like something that still to this day is, really, is, some, is a good, good thing. So far, um, I think Teddy Bluger is having himself a hell of a preseason, and he's like he should get that that fourth spot. Justin Schultz has been really good, and I like that for me. we talk about him for a second like someone said they're like oh Schultz is having a hell of a a hell of a preseason hello so like, this is um, what happens John, when you have when you John let your good player and you don't put them with Jack Johnson he's kind of pushing and you love to see it you absolutely so love to see that top uh, four Eric Branson or Jazz Johnson wouldn't play and I love that personally <laughs> see I saw flashes of good good play from good Branson last year I mean, who can say? But now let me ask you: Was that flashes of him, or was that Marcus Patterson helping him? But who amongst us has not scored an own goal? (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, (laughs) I John or Josh Morrow. Um, that emergence uh, in preseason surprised me because I didn't know who he was before then. My fault, my apologies. But um, I didn't know who he was. And it's so funny because I saw a tweet where someone was like, so, so wild that that Moro is what opened the eyes for G- the for Rutherford that, mm-hmm. you know, you need to trade you need to trade Jack Johnson. Like, you can get a better player and a more useful, productive player for cheaper. Like, 
it's not that hard. And he was like, it's so funny that ju- that, that moral guy is the one to do it when there's like a hundred different moros in the NHL. I thought you were going to say else we think Jake Gensel will be on the team. Do For some reason, I seriously Gensel thought you were going to be Jake Gensel again. Like, do, can he score um, 40? I, I don't know if he'll score 40, but I think he'll still be Jake oh, Gensel. No. He, Solid 30. He better be. He better be. Mm-hmm. It's so weird because in the beginning of the season, I'm always like, I don't know about Jake. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say he's this good. And by the end of the season, I'm I mean, like, this isn't a, like, he's right a player. Like, he is actually, it's um, not just him being with Crosby. It's just him. He's just that good of a player. I always question about Jake. I don't know. Started and we had some injuries. I mean, what is a better herald to the hockey season started? Than injured penguins. <laughs> ah, let's bring them up. That is true. And have they ever I won mean, the cup when he's played 82 to games? Be, to keep on the positive so. note, the last time Sid, Sid was out in well, the beginning of the be, season, be back. I the penguins know. won the cup. So fair. I don't. So right now he's listed as day to day. Galchenyuk is more of a longer ish term because he has not he's not skated with the team. So I think he he yeah. has like a nagging then, lower body body injury that they like apparently they're like, Brian Oh, we don't want to aggravate hand but he still hasn't skated oh, right. with the team. So I don't know what's going on. He said that's concerning. I'm not getting traded. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Hi. Russ blocked a, yeah, blocked a shot uh, with his hand yesterday in a preseason game. Love to see it. <laughs> he said, you're not going to trade me. No, not what you want to hear. And so, yeah, so he's hurt. The thing with Brian Russ is that people think it could be a broken hand, which is not great. With Galchenyuk out, I was like, oh, well, I still like the lines. Like, I still like the top line. Even though, like, I didn't like Tanev with Malkin, I don't really mind Tanev with Crosby. (laughs) I don't know. But with Rust out, now I'm like, that depth that we had, Dundee, like, where did it go? I have a line. I'm kind of scared. Like, you know, so... No, this is That's just like what I'm thinking. About. I mean, what if we'll you put know. McCann Simone on Malkin's on the line and then Cahoon on Malkin's line? Yeah, yeah. So, so let's like read them out. This is today's. And Simone on Yeah, on Bukestad's line. And then you have Bluger and, and two other people. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll never say no to Jared McCann on Malkin's line because I think that Jared McCann is a very good winger. Um, Let's see. Okay. Yeah, I think I would agree with you, Christy. So say, so say Sid is good to go for the first game of the season, and it's Jake, Sid, Tanev, then Cahoon, Malkin, McCann, 
and then you do and Simone, Simone makes that Hornquist, which I feel like was a line last season. I don't know. And then you do Bluger, Zach Ass and Reese. Like Adam Johnson. I know people yeah. want him <laughs> We're already out of 12 <laughs> skaters. Who's the next one? I don't Ooh. know if anyone else is... Then yeah, call them up. Let's go, bud. I don't know. I feel Welcome like back. I have so many things. And to I don't say mind that fourth no, line. No, that we're actually talking about. Preferably, I'd like it better if we like had our best players. I'm not a huge fan of Zach Aston. I'm demonstrated. Yeah. So okay, Christine, you specifically had like. Not like the four that of we have, just like how like they're what, used. What I area do you feel like is their biggest concern? That that's forwards, defense, or goaltending? Like outside of like Sid and Morgan. Like outside of like the pairs that they have, just like that third person that's going to be on the line. I'm like not sure because I don't think defense, I don't trust Erica Branson for 82 games. Um, and then I don't want Casey mm-hmm. Smith on this team anymore. But I think Matt Murray has had a really good preseason, so hopefully you don't have to play dismiss mm-hmm. as much. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the thing with Brennan Tanev, and again, I'm looking at this with a clear eyesight because I did not like him with on Malkin's line, but... The way that Dom, like, ranks him, they say that he accounts for, I believe, 0.5 wins. And in the lineup that Dom has on his, like, preview of the Penguins, he has Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, and Jared McCann. And Jared McCann is a, accounts for, like, 0.7 wins. So, like, the difference between Tanev and McCann, while statistically isn't that big, I know, like, offense like in real time watching them play they play two completely different styles but I mean I feel like Tanev plays like a similar style to I wouldn't say a Chris Kunitz but I would say like a duper like a very speedy like aggressive style and like Sid is known to like yeah, that yeah. in his wingers so it wouldn't question. shock me if Tanev and, Tana, like, stays though, on that like, top line. I found that, like, Sid in Winnipeg, he'll score you, like, a random goal out of nowhere. And then he's, he's like, the best player that you've ever seen. Like, he kind of reminds me of Horny, where he kind of tries to get into all those dirty areas, and then he'll, like, score a couple. And then he's, like, a fan favorite because he does that. It looks like he's the one that's driving play when mm-hmm. it's not really him. He's more of a product of his line. But if, I mean, Sid has worked well with Horny and Sid has worked well with people that do that. So if that works, that's fine. Yeah. I, I was just about to say, like, then who better to be with than Sid, who literally <laughs> thrives with the players that, you know, produce on his his line. But I do get what you're saying. Like, he's inconsistent. And, like, one game he may be amazing, and the next it's just, like, where did he go, you know? Um, 
But I, I, that's one of the things that I'm nervous about Tanev is because you hear, like, yeah, Pit Media is going to always be like, oh, look how fast Tanev is skating, or, like, he com- almost converted on this shot. But it's also, like, yeah, it's preseason one. And, like, is he going to do this yeah. on game, like, 77 of of the season? Like, it's just – it's hard yeah. to keep up that style of play consistently. Um game in and game out. Yeah, really like, like back to back. Like, because he, like, he plays a hard game. Like you're going into those game. areas that people, you get punished for being in. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, my biggest concern is just like what my Mike Sullivan is going to do. Um, so far, I've liked the past couple of preseason games, like his lineup decisions. I really like the decreased or de- demoted role that Jack Johnson has played, and I don't know whether that's because Rutherford is actually going to trade him or if Sullivan is like, I'd rather play this other player. I don't know, but the fact that he played 81 games and – or no, 82 games and then – I think it was Eric concerning to me. To play more because, than yeah, Jack Johnson. back, and I don't trust and... uh, uh, Sullivan. Yeah. <clears throat> right now, I would love it if it's Brian Dumoulin, Crystal Tang, boom. Then you have yeah. Marcus Patterson, Justin Schultz, boom. And then... That Morrow kid and Gabranson, I'm fine with that. If any of them get hurt, I'm Who was scared. Your third but then also, like I, I, and I'm a known Ruido fan. Marino. <laughs> so I think that he can step in. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that Josh or John. What about Ricola? We should find out his name. Oh, John Marino, sorry. John Marino and Erica Branson. Rico, Ricola, uh, Gabranson, Johnson, Ruido, and Maro, or Marino were all rotating on for the third pair. So Ricola's still up, apparently. Nothing saying that he was sent down. Um, yeah. So he's still an option. I wouldn't mind if it was Ricola and Gabranson as the third pair either. So there's some maybe, options. So even if you get rid of Johnson or even if you don't and you just don't play points. him, there are other options for at defense if someone gets hurt. I don't yeah. know. See, I'm so biased for the Penguins because I uh, realistically I would say I'm probably optimistic under. that there'll be a better but team than I they were yesterday. So much, and yesterday. I think so highly uh, of last them. Year, and I think they still <laughs> I don't got 200 points. Out, like, so if they hit 102 or even 101, get that pity point, I would be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I love a pity yeah. point. Very true. <laughs> I, I think I think one of the biggest things that was annoying last season was that I'm they lost so many overtime games. Yeah. So like, if they can get those points, then I think they they could be in a good position. I'm just so nervous about the Metro. And I feel like everything yeah. needs to go right in order for them to get 100 points, because I think they're going to miss Bill Petzl more than they think. 
especially on the power play. Yeah. Because um, it, it didn't look great last time I saw it. But, um, uh, yeah, I think they can, I'm going to say 99. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Fair. <laughs> okay. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with I think they get 100 points. It's either 100 or over 100. I'm I'm going to try to be positive. I'm going to think good thoughts. The power play, I the power play will never be as good as it was with Kessel. I know I really that for a fact, but I think pre-Kessel the Penguins did have a good power play. Like was it the best? Is it was it top 5 in the league? Probably not. Um, I know me, <laughs> me either, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't want to count Gao Chengyuk out. Um, it, it just makes me, with the power play, it just makes me nervous that they, I've seen them run 2D power plays. And listen, I was a 2D girl. Like I loved 2D power plays, but I also know that how ineffective they are now not every 2D power play has Chris Letang. Oh, yeah, hair. Um, Any other big predictions who is, like, for the Penguins forward. that we can try to, like, keep um, track of? But, so I'm over, you're over, and Christy's under. Oh, Jake. And then Jake is good. Jake. Well. <laughs> who do you think will score the most goals? I'll say Malkin, then. Malkin will score 45 yeah. goals. Ooh. Well, we have to be a little bit oh. different. <laughs> So you're just going to switch yours. It's okay. Well, wait, I was going to switch mine to Monken. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Most I can't, penalty minutes. I can't. Uh... Yeah, Me? like when everyone picked Jake, I was like, wait a minute. Ooh, <laughs> that's a spicy moment. I'm so toxic. Okay. What was the last season? What was the last season? Malkin, for sure. Yeah, that. Oh, huh? <laughs> oh, Malkin. Oh my gosh! Sure. Malkin did it last oh, no, season when he was frustrated. They were gonna oh. be in order. Oh, maybe it's like <laughs> 80, per game 89 penalty minutes. Because the season. next closest was Chris Letang with 48. That was like 40 more penalty minutes. <laughs> Mm. I was, yeah. I was thinking, well, where's Hornquist? Because he always gets a bunch. <laughs> oh, Patterson had a lot. Actually, Dude, are, are we all saying Malkin? Yeah, Who could even come close? Fifty-seven games. <laughs> That's true. How yeah. many do we have? Forty. It has to be Morgan. No one oh my seen God! It's oh, you guys. <laughs> oh, I guess he was out for most He's of the spicy. season. It's just that Schultz only took four. I like that. Such a oh, friend. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Or like he didn't even do anything. He's, an He's innocent. When has he ever done anything wrong? And those four were probably too many man penalties. Were like, all right, Justin, go to the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or oh, like, remember when have a better John, uh, Johnson took do- both um, those double Murray, penalties? They were like, all right, well, we need another person Darius in the box. And they're like, hey, Schultz, get your D partner. Will that just be difficult there. because of how many games? Oh, my gosh. 
say Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm saying Murray. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but oh, like no, you no. can hey. still. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How dare you mix those two up? Let me. I'll, I'll be different and say dismiss. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. I mean, no. I meant Jari. Oh my God. I, I meant Jari. Point. Um. I did. I know. That's what I was thinking. Well, first of all, I'm toxic. But I'll try Jari, to be I'll different. Um. It, what? Hmm. That's what I was thinking. All right. So you. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna say. I want to say Jake, but I feel like... Um, <laughs> All like right, say like Jake. I'll say Mulford. <laughs> we're just going for it. Like, third? Listen. So where do we feel third. like this team will fall in the Metro? I think third. Um, mm. Gosh, do you really think that Carolina will... <laughs> where do we think the Pens? ...be Washington in the standings? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good. They're wow. good. I was thinking so, okay. fourth, Kelsey, but I didn't. Say, I uh, wanted to have faith. You say third as well. <laughs> okay. I say yeah. third, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Debbie Downer and say fourth. Yeah. You could have done second. Good. I was I was gonna say third because I wanted to have faith, and yeah. I've been being very positive. But everyone said third, so it's like, all right, let me just do fourth and be a little bit realistic. I'm I'm not like that uh, unrealistic, but all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Where's My Stick. Um, if you have any comments, questions, you can always um reach us at Where's underscore My underscore Stick on Twitter. Um, subscribe, rate, review. Um, and if we're not on any platform that you normally listen to the <laughs> podcast on, let us know and we'll try to get on there as soon as possible. Bye. But yeah. Bye. All right, guys. I'm excited for the season. And when I say I'm excited, I mean I'm dreading it. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>